Welcome to the Worship Theology Podcast. This is a space where we're bridging faith and ministry praxis. Today, I'm so delighted to sit down with uh, Dr. Diane Chandler, who serves as Associate Professor of Christian Formation and Leadership in the School of Divinity at Regent University. She holds a PhD in Organizational Leadership and an MDiv in Practical Theology and an MS in Education. Dr. Chandler publishes widely on themes related to Christian spirituality, women in leadership, global leadership, ethical leadership, and burnout for those in ministry. It's a delight to chat with Dr. Chandler, and we're going to be focusing um, on one of her, her key works, which is Christian Spiritual Formation, an Integrative Approach to Personal and Relational Wholeness. Well, yeah, it's such a delight to be here with you, Diane, and I've yeah known you for years and had you kind of teach in some of my classes at seminary and have worked with your husband for in global missions for yeah over a decade now and so so fun to have you particularly today talking about christian spirituality and formation and how that relates to us as ministers and and leaders um before we kind of jump into that i one of the things that i've loved about you is you come from a charismatic tradition um kind of the free church tradition you're a minister or you're ordained right like you're you're a part of a, a network of churches and pa- helping um, lead and teach pastors in different ways. But what I love about you is that you're also, yeah, a scholar. And, and I think sometimes in the charismatic and evangelical free church tradition, we undervalue scholarships, like we undervalue study and academic pursuit. And we, yeah, we want the spontaneous spirit led, but what drew you into to studying? You have a PhD, like what, what drew you into this, yeah. Um, yeah, using your mind, this intellectual pursuit? Sure. Well, first of all, Jeremy, thank you so much for having me. It is just a delight to be with you and to see you face to face. Of course, the podcast <laughs> listeners don't know that. I mean, we We're could in be, the same room. We are in the same room, unmasked, right? <laughs> and so hopefully this will be um, a, a great blessing for folks to, mm. to hear and to who will listen. Um, it's a great question. Um, for me, um, although I uh, initially came from a charismatic, I wouldn't say Pentecostal, I'm yeah. not a classical Pentecostal yeah. believer, but I would identify more as third wave charismatic. Um, my family background is um, PCUSA, where, okay, yeah. you know, way back when, um, but came into a saving knowledge of Jesus right out of undergrad. Um, and then um, became a part of and affiliated with an, a non-denom church who was led by a Messianic Jew. Wow. <laughs> okay. So because of his scholarship, and not, not so much written scholarship, but, but in terms of how he not just exegeted, but how he predicated the New Testament on the Old, whereas a lot of times just the New Testament in our local churches is really preached and taught. But there was a there was a stacking. In other words, you know, the New Testament is built on the Old, so you can't have the New Testament without having the, the Tanakh. Um, and so it was that richness of the Tanakh, of the Old Testament, that that, that was just revelatory to me. It turned the lights on, and and I was not necessarily a new believer at that time. I had been a believer for a while um, when I when I went to this one particular non-denominational church. So it, it was because I think of the context and the culture of that m- Messianic Jewish leadership um, that, that almost drew me like a magnet, and my love of the Word, of course, all, all Christians, you know, hopefully have that. So um, just needless to say, as, as I did um, progress, I earned an MDiv and, you know, studied the languages, but then wanted more, right? When do we have enough of the Word? And, uh, and then is God kind of in, that's another story for another time, how he focused me on what I'm doing now. Um, so I think to your question, I think charismatics and Pentecostals and the free church, mm-hmm. non-affiliated, yeah. um, need to have a depth of understanding of the word and study to, um, to, to build on and experience then forges and marries with that. Because if you just have one without the other, you know, 
um, as as someone that we both know once said, right? If it's if it's all just scholarship research, you're going to dry up, and if it's all just experience, right, you're going to blow up. But you need both so that you we have a message to to you're, to you're, the world. I love that. You, yeah, you're marrying like so many different in in that journey you're marrying like hebrew scriptures which were jesus's scriptures like That's exactly our, our right. messiah like christ and you're marrying that with with new testament christianity you're marrying you know word and spirit in that and i think i mean your pc usa journey i actually <laughs> did, didn't know that about you like a reform journey but then coming into a, a charismatic experience too like that's just such a, a beautiful collision of what yeah, the body of, of Christ is. And I know that's, yeah, I, I know that's going to be a part of this conversation. You're seeing things from, from different experiences. In, in, in corporate worship, like you've been in, sounds like growing up in, in lots of different worship experiences. A lot of our listeners are leaders of worship or those studying Christian worship or worship studies. Just what's, what's a memorable moment mm -hmm. in corporate worship where, um, yeah, maybe God did something in you, like mm. where where you can look back and say, "Oh, this was this was a mark. God God mm. did something in me here." And what a great question! There are a lot of memorable experiences. So, okay, to just pick one. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's all right. I would say the most memorable experience I had was at an Urbana missions conference, where there were twenty thousand people from different countries coming from all over the U.S. and some of them from out of the country um, who came to experience God and to be positioned to receive from God to go into the world and their respective callings to make a difference, to be ambassadors. And here, you know, there's a section <clears throat> in the Urbana, for those listeners that don't know, the Urbana Missions Conference is designed to attract young people, college age yeah, particularly, yeah, yeah. young adults, who are at these transition points wondering, God, how have you made me? What are you calling me to do? Um, how, how can I surrender my life to you and use the gifts, callings, the strengths, the abilities you've given me to honor you in serving the world? And so they're really pregnant moments mm -hmm. for a lot of young people. But, you know, so in this stadium, right, you know, and it was in when I was there, it was in Urbana, Illinois, it's no longer there. It's in St. Louis, isn't it, or Kansas City? I, I think so, yeah. Kansas, maybe it's Kansas still City. Still in the Midwest. It's still in the area. <laughs> still moved a little, right? Moved a little west. But, um, but where you have a Spanish section, right, because Spanish speakers receive translation, you have a French section, you have other sections. And then you have worship teams that are so anointed and there's this collective sense of I am a part of something bigger than myself. I am a part of something bigger than USA. I am a part of God's plan. And his primary purpose is to reach individuals in the nations to be glorified. And so what is my purpose? My purpose is to make Jesus' purpose known, right? And to declare among the nations what he has done, right, is to, is to preach in word and deed the gospel, that Jesus came, he lived 33 years, he died, he was buried, and he rose again to express to every single one of the 7.5 billion people on the earth that he is real, he loves them, and there is a purpose for their lives. And if they receive him, they will be with this God that's created them forever. So to me, that experience, I, and I've, I've been to the Urbana Missions Conference twice, um, not, not in more recent, his, recent history, but I look forward to being again. And whenever I'm in an international kind of worship experience, which I know, Jeremy, you have the privilege of being in many different ones all over the world, it is a privilege to join with our brothers and sisters who don't speak English is their first language, is their heart language. But yet you are you are one in Christ. And so therefore, you know, when I'm worshiping with someone who's speaking Arabic or someone who is whose heart language is Persian or Spanish or whatever, you know, I am caught up with God. And through that experience of worship, this is the place where we are transformed. So I don't believe that—now, can I be transformed just by reading my Bible? Of course. 
Can I be transformed just by listening to a podcast? Of course. But I think one of the primary ways the Holy Spirit uses to transform us is in the presence of the Lord in worship. Because that's where we release our, our souls and our spirits to God, and God has this opportunity to come in unhindered, right? We're surrendered to God. We're worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, is present with us. That is when transformation, that is spiritual formation at its best. Well, I mean, yeah, you're getting me excited. Like the, <laughs> the, one of my favorite things, as you said, is to be in those multicultural worship uh, moments again in northern Iraq or in London or in Virginia Beach like That's right. and I think there's so much um, media about how the church is divisive and racist and 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 some of that is probably true there's again a friend of mine's got a movie coming out on the most segregated hour and looking at kind of multicultural church and how some of that hasn't um, over the last 20, 30 years hasn't come to fruition as, we, as we'd hoped or prayed. But also, I can say, both in how the church is to be in Scripture, that it is supposed to be Jew and Gentile. It is supposed to be the rich and the poor coming together, the slaves and the free. Um, and every nation, like, those moments can be some of the most, like, yeah, all, like a foretaste of of heaven crashing into our present moment. We were exactly. just at a gathering last night where for mm -hmm. me, like I've been in a very monocultural worship experience the last few months. And so like to be there being led by Latinos, African-Americans to mm -hmm. have our hands lifted, singing glory unto, unto Christ. It like, this feels like the end of the story crashing into our present moment. And I know that's that is forming us to love one another, to have charity, to have empathy, because we're praying together, we're worshiping together, we're in that same space for that. Isn't same it purpose. amazing that you know when when we do enjoy and we are caught up by the Spirit in that kind of multicultural setting, that somehow my brother who who or sister, whose language I don't know is closer to me than a biological brother or sister that does not know Jesus Christ. So there is this spirit, and it's hard to describe, isn't it? It's hard to put into words. And I think, yeah, one of the it is one of the unique contributions of Pentecostal, charismatic, non-denominate, however we want to mm -hmm. label even evangelical. Mm -hmm. Like, it is one of the unique expressions is that those churches all over the world often are multicultural in different ways um, took a friend of mine um, yeah John Whitfleet I'll say that like from Calvin we went across London and went to three very different churches now it is London so cosmopolitan but one was a slightly charismatic Anglican one was like super contemporary and then one was um, yeah very traditional evangelical hymn hymnody but one of the, the characteristics of each of those very different, you know, one's charismatic, one's almost anti-charismatic, one's a little more liturgical because it's Anglican. But each of those was led by and, and the participants in worship were the nations. And again, some of that's, you're in a mega city like London, but it would be the same when I've visited churches in Istanbul and even, exactly. yeah, other, that, that there's Kurds and Koreans and uh, Turks and, and so what I love about, yeah, the, the, the kingdom and particularly I think the free church tradition is that it enables like the nations to come together. Yeah. It isn't just monoculture. Like in our DNA, it is the ends of the earth. Let's share the gospel. Let's bring the kingdom to the ends of the earth. And I think that then gets expressed in our rhythms, our rituals, our, yes. our, our worship practices. Yes, and God loves each of those church expressions, right? The liturgical, the charismatic, the Pentecostal, the Orthodox, yeah. the Reformed. All, God is working through every single church. And so it might not be my worship style, a certain kind of denomination or a certain kind of expression, but yet God loves that. God And God is there. And I think God, God is present when we are open, when our hearts are open. And so, you know, for any worship experience, God, can I be open? I mean, I've been in some worship uh, contexts, and you have too, I'm sure, Jeremy, where nobody raised their hands. 
<laughs> you know, and, and, and you kind of say, okay, I know this is very elementary. This is not a big deal. But, you know, I feel I need to raise my hands here and I might be not looked at so yeah. kindly or favorably, you know, or being judged as a crazy charismatic, <laughs> crazy charismatic. Which we might be a little bit. <laughs> which, yeah, admittedly, that might be true. Um, but, uh, but yes, the, the church is God's conduit right now. And so whatever, however we can posture ourselves to... You know, in the worship experience, but also in the preaching and the teaching experience, um, that you know Christ is coming; yeah. He's coming again, yeah. and um, and we can do our part to prepare yeah. our hearts and to help others to prepare for that wonderful time when we will meet Him one day. Yeah. Well, one of your focuses, both academically and in your teaching and ministry at, at churches and in the, the academy, is around Christian spiritual formation, Christian spirituality, and I uh, for these these podcasts, I often. Um, draw on a few questions from students or other professors or friends and one in particular came from a philosophy professor friend of mine mm -hmm. so don't don't be afraid I know neither of us are philosophers at least by by trade but it is he, he was asking about really about this current generation and um, you know Barna research in particular shows that many in Gen Z and Millennials often identify themselves as spiritual but not religious and that's even a a title of books and, and right. articles. I guess what what is distinct about Christian spirituality as opposed to kind of a growing spirituality of the non-religious? What what makes Christian spirituality unique, particularly as opposed to the kind of uh, buffet spirituality? Oh, I'll do a little a little contemplative here. I'll do a little yoga here. But what what's unique about Christian spirituality? Well, I think the probably the obvious answer is Christ, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like Christian spiritual formation revolves with Christ at the center, and it begins with a relationship with God, right? And our Bibles teach us that we are saved through faith, um, that every person that comes into a kingdom relationship with Jesus enters through that door. Now, this is basic Bible teaching. But what happens after we say yes to the Lord and that we receive him, we understand that he died for our sins, that he was nailed to the cross. If I were the only one, he would have come just for me. Um, but that that now begins this whole discipleship journey and that this discipleship journey is multifaceted. It's not just my spirit. And I know we're gonna talk yeah, a little no, bit sure, about yeah, that please. just in, in a little bit as well. But that, you know, when you recognize that we are created by God, right? This isn't random. Now I know a lot of post-modernity in our era, era is locating truth by what you and I believe truth to be. So it is this smorgasbord. It's what pleases me. I can identify my own truth. So objective truth is pushed aside. So to your question, I think what is happening is that in this postmodern age, particularly with young people, as they are crafting their own worldview, it's not working. They're unhappy. So suicides are still high. Right, drug addiction is still high. Sexuality, even and and this post-modernity is identifying what is okay and permissible sexually. That's not satisfying. So therefore, I would answer the question. You know, a relationship with Christ, and we get to Saint Augustine, right? That there's a hole in the human heart that can only be filled by God and in Christ. And that even though we might think that I give up my rights, right, the Bible tells us that we are to die to ourselves. Unless uh, John, is it 2, 24, unless a corn of wheat falls on the ground and dies, it will not spring up and bear fruit. And so, you know, we have to die. But what we gain through our relationship with Christ is far more than what we ever gave up, which is, as we know, wood, hay, and stubble. So... That would be my answer. It is centered on Christ in a love relationship um, that will never fail us. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah, as I hear that too and hear what you're saying, like I, I, I think some of the, the growing spirituality is a hunger for, yeah, embodiment and to, to, to have every part of your life be connected. Um, but 
often at the end of that is very self-centered. I'll listen to this Christian podcast and go to this yoga and then light a candle at this temple while I'm on vacation. And so there's a yearning for formation yes. and rituals that, that have deep meaning. But in the end, it feels like that smorgasbord approach or that buffet is the end is self. What what pleases me? And I know a number of psychologists and counselors who aren't Christian would often, yeah, their research shows that like what makes people happy is going outside of yourself, loving others, empathy, serving others, having a vision beyond yourself. And I think what we find, yeah, is, is as followers of Jesus is that vision beyond ourself is Exactly. A person, exactly. and so we find truth and meaning. I mean, he's, it's a philosopher, so it, epistemologically, like our our exactly. knowing is not ourself; it's outside of ourself. But then the beauty of of who Jesus is is that as we're born again, as we're baptized, as we come into the family, we're still Diane, we're still Jeremy, but we're Diane in Christ. We're Jeremy yes. in Christ, and so it's such a a beautiful combination that in, in some sense where we go outside of ourselves to follow him and die to ourselves, but then he resurrects like exactly. Jesus resurrects us and seats us with him in heavenly places. Exactly. It's, it's this beautiful like death and life metaphor or narrative that is based in the cross and the exactly. Yeah, and I think some of us in our, our our Christianity kind of overemphasize one of those. Like we overemphasize the dying to ourselves, mm -hmm. and you know i can think of catholic tradition even some reformed tradition that right. it's all about the death of jesus christ and then i can think of some word of faith or you know pentecostal it's all about the victory and i think even at at the at the core of who we are to recognize that i no longer live but right. <laughs> christ lives, lives in, in me, me. That's and so right. it's this beautiful combination where the individual is is still critical, made in the image of God, like who he's created me to be, but also it's not me, but it's him, but it's me, it's him in me, and, and that you know, tension. Sure, and I, I think one thing to note is that a lot of young people are very disengaged from church and disenfranchised because of what they think the church represents. Some of that, um, we've earned that bad label, right? Um, but on the other hand, to totally disassociate from church altogether, to be that believer, to be that Lone Ranger, I can do this without the church, is a fallacy. Um, and we need each other. And the church is messy. The church has a lot of people that have messed up, and I am the first one to raise my hand. So when especially young people disassociate from church, um, you know, they miss the opportunity to be fashioned oftentimes through very coarse sandpaper, you know, but to find churches that you feel like they're A, Bible-believing churches, where the Holy Spirit is recognized, where they can fellowship, where they are known, and where they can give and receive, right? So I believe that, um, and, and I've experienced this too in my conversations with a lot of young people, that they, they're not about church, or ch it's been hurtful to be in a church. And I, I recognize that, and I think that's legitimate, that there are painful moments. You know, somebody feels hurt or betrayed, or their beliefs haven't been received. Um, and so we need to make churches safe places for people, Christians, that might not align completely with what, you know, the Bible says. But how can we win them? How can we help them without pushing them uh, aside? Yeah in some way. So I think that's the challenge of the church right now. And you, you, we were in a session just a few minutes ago, particularly looking at kind of Middle Eastern cultures and serving God in the Middle East and what that, that looks like and what we can learn from both Muslims, Middle Eastern Muslims, but also Christians in the Middle East. And one of the differences that, that we were just talking about is the privatized spirituality and then more of a communal spirituality. And I think there's we could, we're not going to go through it today, but there's probably biblical basis for both. Like me and Jesus, Jesus saving me. Mm -hmm. I love Jesus, Jesus only. There's lots of great songs that are about that. But I think what I've learned, particularly living in the Middle East and worshiping with Middle Eastern Christians and even other parts of the world, is what does it mean to be the 
family of God. Like as we gather, but also as we're scattered throughout the week, how do we love one another? How do we die to ourselves? And I think that's also one of those things that particularly like Gen Z, millennials, the growing generation um, has a desire to to have and express a corporate spirit, to be known by others and to be accepted into those those communities. And I think as the church, that's something we need to grow into, not that's just right. come to come to the service, sit there, worship, sing, play your tithe and and get out and hopefully do something that week. But when someone's hurting, how can we serve them? Um, how can they be known, their calling and their vocation? And so, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to then jump into kind of particularly around spiritual formation, which is you've got a book on that, written articles on that, teach on that. But, but before we get into kind of the how, um, what is spiritual formation? What that term yeah. can mean a lot of different things, but to, to sure. you, what, what is that? Sure. It's been said that everyone has a spiritual formation. Myself, a Hindu, a person who's of the Muslim faith, a Buddhist, an atheist. Everybody has something that's formed and shaped them. So I would say Christian spiritual formation would be an interactive process. It's a process. We don't ever arrive. So this process is whereby we are conformed into the image of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And why is that? for the sake of the world. So that's maybe just kind of a, a short definition. So it's God the Father's. He owns the process, right? But I have something to do with this process. I can be intentional in fostering my own spiritual formation. One of the metaphors that I use oftentimes when I teach about this is if you can imagine the ocean and the waves, and there is a sail or a lake or a river, and there is a sailboat, and we are the sailboats. And how does the sailboat then move? Mm. Well, we have to hoist the sails one way. Most sailboats these days have a motor. That's number <laughs> yeah, two, yeah. right? And number three, the third way that you move the boat is how? It's through just drifting, yeah. right? That is going to move the boat. And so we, what I liken the spiritual disciplines to are those practices where we're, the sails, we're hoisting the sails. So why do we read our Bible? Why do we worship together? Why do we fast? Why do we pray? Why do we intercede? Why do we, do, why do we have other spiritual practices? We're hoisting the sails, hoping what will happen, hoping that the Holy Spirit will then blow and move in those spiritual disciplines and move us forward in Christ. And for each of us, it's, it's different. There's no one-size-fits-all, right? And how does he do that? Well, he, he does it through the disciplines. He does it through life experience. He does it through the corporate worship, the church. Yeah. Um, but he also uses the things that we don't like so much. It's the suffering. It's the things that he's calling us to lose or the things that he cuts from us, the John 15 metaphor of, you know, we have the gardener and the vine and we are the branches. And what does the gardener do? Well, he cuts those, those things that we don't like, right? Thank God he does that. But what he also does is he cuts those good branches, right? He prunes them. So why? So we can become more fruitful. So yeah, so this is an interactive process. And in my research, and, and perhaps in yours as well, you know, we note that Christian spiritual formation is also e connoted to be mainly concerned with practice of the spiritual disciplines. And I think that's true. I don't negate that. But I take a little bit different approach. So I would say that based on my understanding of Scripture, that God makes us as multidimensional beings, not just in our spirit, mm -hmm. but in our emotions, mm -hmm. in our relationships he uses, in our intellect. We have minds. We grow. Also in our calling, in our vocation. You know, vocation comes from the word vocatio, right? What does that mean? It's voice. So our calling is a voice that we hear and sometimes we have to get quiet enough and 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 stationary enough to see how has God put his imprint on our lives to discover what the vocation is. 
So another another dimension that God has gifted us with, right, is embodiment. We have a body. And God, even though the Christian church doesn't really emphasize our physicality, in my view, enough, maybe because of the abuse of physicality in our culture, especially yeah. as it relates yeah. to sexuality, yeah. that that's an area that I think needs to be talked about and taught more. How do we steward these things? And lastly, what I call resource formation, and that is what do we do with our money, our possessions, our time, and even the earth? How are we caring for the earth? Um, so I would say that we, God is calling us to steward all of these, you know, I've mentioned seven primary areas, so that we can then flow move, be healthy in these areas to be the ambassador in our world, to be an attractional, um, doesn't mean that we have to cater to the world, but that we can be attractional and winsome, that people will be attracted to us because of our unjudgmental nature, right? And it's the love of God emanating mm. to, through and in us. Take me through those three big, big categories. Again, you, you did kind of spiritual disciplines. What and then embodiment oh. and kind of your... Okay. Yeah. So I would say that there's the seven primary yeah. areas yeah. of formation. Yeah. So I would say spiritual, Yeah. number one, emotional, two. Yeah. Three would be relational. Yeah. Four, um, yeah, re three are re relational. Four would be intellectual, okay. our minds. Yeah. Five would be vocational. Six, our physical health and wellness formation. And then lastly, seven, resource formation, which is how we steward our money, our possessions, our time, and then I would say the earth. Somebody could make the point and say, well, we have to steward our giftings too. And that's true. Yeah. We steward all of these things, even our sexuality yeah. we, stu we steward. Yeah. Um, but those are the areas that I, I've been teaching on and trying to show people that, you know, there is a connection between what you do to your body and your spirituality. There's a connection between your relationships, right, and your emotions, good and bad. Many of us come from very bruised backgrounds, and we need healing. And, and so the whole discussion of emotions, I would say in the last 15 years, has come to the, the fore. Um, Peter Scazzaro's work, The Emotionally Healthy Church, emo Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Emotional Healthy Discipleship, his latest book, really have helped us realize that this, this partnership between the emotions, spirituality, and relationships, that's a triumvirate that, that uh, we need to look at and, uh, and, and grow in. I love, yeah, I love this, so, such an integrated, holistic approach that you're bringing, and I think particularly for those in evangelical streams or non-denom streams, Pentecostal, like we've really emphasized, which is critical. And I, and I love that you don't lose it. We really emphasize being saved and get, and having it, it, eternal like security. Like, exactly. And again, I don't want to lose that. I, and I think what I've seen when some scholars, as they've delved into kind of some of these other topics, they often lose that core but even in your your diagram and in, in in your your main book, like like you you see Christ at the center, and you're using these terms like that are have been within Christian spirituality for a, a long time, and been within theology, Imago Dei, Imago Christi, and Gloria Dei. How we we may get back into the, some of these different categories, but how does that core mm, and those yes. those yeah, how does it stay Christian? Like all of those things could be a pursuit. When I was in London, I had a, a a therapist that was you know supporting me and helping me that wasn't a follower of Jesus. Um, it was part of my insurance, and she was the one I could go to. It was very helpful, but you know she was ticking off some of those integrative approaches that you were doing, but didn't have the yeah. Christian. I'm grateful for her, and if she's listening, thank you. But didn't have that Christian core. Like what? What are those key theological terms and, and maybe how to, yeah, unpack those just for, sure. for a moment. Sure, just to digress just yeah. a moment, and that is, you know, I, I was teaching for years on all of these seven areas of formation um, as a way to say we need to steward our spirits, our emotions, our relationships, right, our intellect, our calling, um, our, our physical bodies, as well as you know, um, our, our finances, and God has a lot to say about finances and <laughs> possessions, right? Um, and even earth 
and creation care are important and often an ignored part of um, many, many network, networks of churches. Yeah. So I was teaching on these things, and so what I what I would do, and for those that are listeners that one day want to write a book, this is this is an added tip. You know, <laughs> I would ju- I would just have a folder in each of these areas, and I get, you know, maybe I, I would be exposed to an article or a book chapter, and I would file it. Like I I just began to populate these files, and I would draw on these files for my teachings. So when it came to wanting to write a book that I felt like the Lord wanted me to write something that was cohesive, that was theological, that was biblical, but that was very much practical in nature as well, you know, I put, I I went to all of those different folders, you know, and then I did a very deep dive into each one of those studies. And the book that came out was my, my first monograph, which is Christian Spiritual Formation, an Integrated Approach to spiritual, um, to I'm sorry, to personal and relational wholeness. So anybody who'd be interested can just go on Amazon and look up Christian spiritual formation. Um, and as a result of that, I knew I needed, I needed something that tied all of this together, like all these human human dimensions. How are we? How is this tied? But then, you know, I looked at Genesis one and two. You have to go back there, right? You have to see that God, when he created Adam and Eve, didn't create Adam first with a body, just a shell. And then the next day, he yeah. added the mind. And the next day, yeah. he yeah. added emo- you know, an emotional capacity. Um, no. When God created Adam and then created Eve, every single dimension, human dimension, was implicitly in design, in the DNA, and so that's what we would call the Imago Dei, which is Latin for the image of God. And we see in Genesis 1 and 2, we see how God, now we don't have specifics, right? There's a lot we don't yeah, know yeah. about how God did all how, this. Yeah, yeah. And this is where our faith journey comes in. And this is, you know, perhaps something that, you know, the agnostic or the atheist would challenge Christians, like you're believing Genesis 1 and 2, what, what you know, what chutzpah you have, <laughs> right? Um, but need, needless to say, I went back there, and I did a deep dive on looking at the theological perspectives on the Imago Dei. So when you go all the way back, the early church fathers looked at the Imago Dei from Genesis 1 and 2 as being what? It was being that man has the capacity to think and reason. That was number one. So that's what Augustine, Mm -hmm. that's what many of the early church fathers were looking at. We're different than animals, Mm -hmm. right? Which is true. Yeah. But then you get up to the Reformation, and the Reformers were saying, whoa, 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 wait just a minute. It's not just that humankind can think and reason. Humankind has the potential for relationships. And so, you know, I began to look at what the Reformers were saying. Okay, turn the page. Then I began to look at what some of the Old Testament scholars were saying about Genesis 1 and 2. And they were saying, you know, well, it's very straightforward. The Imago Dei means that humankind was given the capacity to take dominion over creation. And we see that we see that translation. Some scholars said, hold on just a minute, all you other Old Testament, Old Testament scholars, you know. Many Christians have used that to rape the earth and to abuse the earth. We, let's look at how we can tenderly care for and steward the earth. So there was this whole other, um, I, I would say, overlay that came on the other two interpretations from early church fathers and the reformers. And then there, were, there are and were some other writers, you know, I'm thinking of the Dallas Willards, the Richard Fosters, um, and a number of others who said, you know, this relationship that we have, this as, as being created in the image of God, we are on a trajectory to become like God. Not that we are God, but more like God. We are created, why? To be transformed into the image of God. And, uh, and we, you know, and we can see from the 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18, we are, and the, the Greek is an ongoing action. We are being transformed. It's not finite, it doesn't end. And so in some passages where we see this process of sanctification, it's we were sanctified, right? Jesus' death on the cross, his shed blood, we were sanctified, past tense. 
However, there are other scriptures that talk about we are being transformed. So yes, it, Jesus wrought that on the cross, our complete transformation in his likeness. But we know as humans, we are being transformed. Um, and and sometimes our formation looks like the stock market that just <laughs> dove yesterday, right? Sometimes like I'm on a high, I'm on the mountaintop, but something could happen and then I'm in the valley and then I'm on the mountaintop and then I'm in the valley. Um, but the, the hope is that over time, you know, we will experience some growth. And, and most growth, in my view, and perhaps in your experience too, Jeremy, doesn't come from the mountaintop experiences, although those are wonderful. Mm-hmm. But it also comes in the valley, in the dark places mm-hmm. where we suffer. And, and I think we as people in the church and leaders in the church and we who teach in Bible colleges and seminaries, we need to say, we need to make people aware that this is, these are fertile opportunities for God to be with us because when you're in the desert, there's no one else there but God, not your pastor, not your spouse, not even your children. You are going to experience that desert. And that's when Jesus went into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, there was no one else except who, whom except God. God the Father through the Spirit was there. The Spirit led him into the 40 days in the wilderness. But the enemy was there. And so, you know, we need to realize that during Jesus' testing time, it was a time of testing, We call it a temptation, and it was a temptation, right? But 40 days of testing, you know, he came through, and he showed us in human flesh that we can also come through those times of testing. I believe God, God doesn't tempt us. I believe he tests us, but the devil is always there tempting us. And Jesus has showed us that we can come through by the Spirit. And we'll be better at the other on the other side of that desert when we come into the Elam, when we come into the oasis, right? How how, you know, so many ministers, pastors, you know, we've had more public failures, I think, this year than than I've seen in my whole life. And I'm, you know, grew up in the eighties and nineties, so I know some of those historic Christian stories, but many pastors failing, many depressed, even media of, of pastors who have committed suicide. And I know mm. anecdotally, some of my friends are have thought about or are leaving ministry because of of that desert loneliness, depression. How does this integrated approach, again, where it's maybe not only getting saved and, and getting to heaven, although that's a part of that core, knowing Jesus and, and having Christ at the center is, is the core of what you're saying. But how does this holistic view of kind of formation and even I'd say discipleship how does it help you in those moments of testing either from from your own you know your own life or story or even more generally like how how can a more integrated approach yeah support us or maybe even be a crutches or a structure to to help lean on or lean into when we're in those desperate yeah, painful moments. Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm going to answer that with a story, yeah, first a true yeah. story. So a number of years ago, I was in a seminar. Um, it was a full week, all day seminar. And, uh, and they were primarily ministry leaders. In this seminar, we had breakout groups. And in the breakout group, um, we were to talk about something that was present tense that we were really struggling with. And, uh, and, and to be honest with you, I don't even remember what I shared. Hmm. This was a number of years ago. But I remembered what one of the pastors shared. Um, he said this. He said, I know that I have issues with my mother, deep issues. But I'm now church planting. It's the second year. I don't have time to stop. And he, he, he had several children, by the way. He had eight kids. And he said, I don't have time to go back and and even approach to heal that relationship. And so I thought to myself, well, now, you know, and I have a lot of, I, at that point in my life, also had many things. It's always easier to see the guy ahead of you driving who's veering off the side of the road. But I thought to myself, well, you're church planting. 
might not be able to take the time right now to deal with and to approach your mom, obviously, and he didn't share all the hurts there, mom that he wished he had, he didn't have. But at some point, that relationship being unresolved mm-hmm. and unhealed will impact church planting, will impact things. So uh, even though what I'm sharing about a multidimensional and a holistic view of Christian formation is helpful, it's not going to solve all the problems, right? So the Holy Spirit will prick our hearts to say, you know, in my case, Diane, you need to go make this right with your brother or sister, or you need to confess this. And, you know, and I could I could share with this brother, not in the small group, but just in the hallway during a conversation that I had to do the same thing with each of my parents, where the Holy Spirit pricked my heart. I had to go and make amends and, and to ask their forgiveness, not because of what I did to them, but because of what I felt like I didn't get from them and they were incapable of getting. And I harbored bitterness as an adult. So. I would say that we, I think we need to see that we need to be healthy, and we can't always be healthy in every area all at once. So right now, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I have. That's good to say. I Probably need to say it again. We can't. Right. We can't be. A hundred percent on all of these categories. Yeah, all, all of the time. our cylinders yeah. in all yeah. seven areas might yeah. not be able to fire at the same time. But what I think the Lord does do is say, you know, I'm shining light on one area right now that you need to attend to. And I'm going in why does he shine light on it? It's not to expose us, but rather to say, the light I'm shining on this one particular area, I'm shining out of grace because I'm here to help you deal with it. Well, right now, Jeremy, and of course our listeners can't see this, but I have two pennies. And one penny with Abe Lincoln, it's, it's a 2016 penny, <laughs> is nice and shiny and looks fairly new. And the other is an all beat up penny. I can't even make out Abraham Lincoln's mm-hmm. profile yeah. on here, nor even the date on it. And I think what happens in our lives is if we come to know the Lord and you know, I'm, I'm that messed up penny that you can't even recognize as a coin. Now it's still worth one cent, but you can't recognize it as a penny. That God gives us opportunities by tenderly coming alongside of us to help us recognize that there's some things that he wants to deal with and he wants to restore in us. And a lot of it relates to forgiveness, that we have to in some way deal with those things undealt with from our past. And, you know, I don't know every area that I have to deal with until until God brings a situation to the fore that I see, hmm, yeah, you know, I'm still dealing with that. I've gone around another lap in the wilderness, right? And I'm right back there at Kadesh Barnea, ready to walk in the promised land. Yeah. But I, you know, yeah. and God says, nope, you know, you, you haven't dealt with this. You, I have to take another lap. So it might be another 36 more years <laughs> before, not, right, before I get in. But anyway... <laughs> All that to say, you know, God uses life circumstances to bring us to himself and and uh, and to a, a fuller awareness of our needs and the needs of others. And he often crafts our healing to forge his calling in our lives, right? And it, it is, our calling is based on our experiences in addition to our talents, abilities, skills, right? that he uses, but uh, you know, you're gonna have a tender heart to somebody who is a struggling worship leader somewhere in the yeah, world yeah. because why? Probably you've I've been a struggling that. worship I leader. Be there today. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm <laughs> yeah. and you know, and I'm, you know, being I, I'm Leban half Lebanese. My yeah, great grandparents yeah. came from Lebanon. I have a real heart for the Middle East yeah. and a real heart for for Muslims yeah. and have many, many friends that are Muslim, but you know, we are drawn to um, oftentimes those um, who are struggling with things that we've been struggling with. So that's a very, very long answer no, to your beautiful. question. And I, I, it, it resonates so much with me as I've been reflecting, even on my, my own life areas I'm growing in, but also in yeah, so much of what's been happening in pastors, both those who are just burnout, tired, pandemic yeah. has been so hard on everyone, but particularly those who are our spiritual leaders of our, our community. Can uh, I yeah. can I just add something here yeah. to, to, on that point before we move on? And that is, 
you know, I think there may be students that will listen to this podcast that are really burned out. There could be, you know, emerging pastors, ministry leaders, yeah. or even seasoned leaders. And, uh, and I just want to encourage them that it's okay to take a time out. Um, I remember being a, summer, <clears throat> excuse me, a seminary student, and I was caregiving um, for my aging dad and grandfather at the exact same time. And I was living here, and they were living in another state. And I was totally burned out, trying to make it all happen. And I remember that um, there was one professor that said to me, and I lived, and I live here now in the Virginia Beach area. You know, he said, Diane, just take an afternoon, go to church, don't stop going to church, you know. But <laughs> although there are times when that's appropriate, but go to the beach and just walk on the beach. And and he didn't even know that I loved the beach. It was it was God's word to me. It's okay to take time out. Number one, you know, when you're when you are fried. When you know that you, it's hard to take another step, right? You know you need you need an away time, and maybe we can chat about burnout just in a little bit. Secondly, you know most students and most pastors don't give themselves permission to take a Sabbath. Mm-hmm. I had someone um, speak with me, a student, a doctoral student, just recently, and said, "I do not take a Sabbath," and yet everybody is telling me I need to. And I say, "Well, let me." me be another voice on in the chorus that's saying it's okay and if you need somebody to give you permission to take a sabbath i'm giving it to you right <laughs> dr. now dr diane chandler says I'm, you can do it i'm giving it's you good. know and i i believe the holy spirit is telling you that um most of us have more work than we could possibly do now you might for some you might not be able to take it on a sunday especially if you're a ministry leader or worship leader in a church but and maybe and that's ideal if you can have a whole day. So many pastors take a Monday and get out of the office, right? And and secondly, take up something that you enjoy, a hobby, photography. You like hiking, go hiking. You know, get get and I am an advocate for pastors especially on their day of Sabbath or when they take an extended sabbatical to get into nature, to get outside in the elements where God can just speak with us, his creation we can enjoy. Um, and, and, and so, yes, so, um, take a Sabbath, take a sabbatical if you need it. And even if you don't need it or don't feel, other people will tell you to take it. (laughs) And, and I would say, um, number three, number three, do something avocation wise that you really like to do. And number four, have someone that you really trust that you can talk to, to say, I really need prayer right now. I need a prayer shield. I need, I need a group of trusted others that won't judge me, that I'm not doing as well as I would hoped, I had hoped I would be at this point. Um, or, or that I'm, I'm drowning and I don't know who to say, I, I need a lifeline right here. So we need those trusted others absolutely and and before we're starting to sink yeah exactly and i think that's often what i've seen in my own life i'll i'll admit and also in lives of friends and and key ministry leaders we're very reactionary in how we care for ourselves as ministers as pastors as christians even more broadly that if something's going down or not going right it's then when we start to like oh well my, I had a health scare. Maybe I should start to work out or exactly. eat better. Or, yeah, I, I'm, we're at burnout, and it's actually coming out in sinful behavior or just mm-hmm. being grumpy or angry. And so, oh, that now I need to take a Sabbath or a sabbatical exactly. or a, a leave of absence. And so it's really, that's what I love about this integrative approach is that it's, that maybe trellis or that that safety net or that support, we're, we're thinking and praying through that and open to God engaging with us in those different ways all the time. And so, yeah, I, I think that encouragement to leaders right now is, yeah, to think about not, not when you feel burnt out, exactly. what am I going to do, but to know that you know what? You're, I'm not, here's, sorry word of faith, friends, but this, you're going to get burnt out. You're going to get tired. Ministry is, is, is challenging and there's more to do today than probably ever before for educators and teachers. And, and so to be able to think, how can I say no to the need and 
that I feel or that someone else is putting on me, which is hard to do, and say yes to God's rest or God's God's rhythm. I think, too, it comes down to what is my definition of a good pastor? What is my definition of success? And so if we're always on this treadmill trying to be bigger and better, which there's nothing wrong with adding new members. There's nothing wrong with having a revival in your church. Is there anything wrong, right, with (laughs) church growth? Absolutely not. However, to your point, Jeremy, we need to be proactive in our health. And one of the areas that I feel is amiss is we don't talk enough about physical health in the church. Now, COVID has changed that somewhat because it's gotten every church's attention globally, <laughs> right? Um, those... We're at least arguing about it. We, 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 we <laughs> yeah. Might not, you know. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. There's there's still a lot of <laughs> dissension as it relates to how churches are handling things. And, and, and you know, unfortunately, pastors have been in the middle of a lot of culture crossroads and culture wars because of the pandemic, which has added just so much more at least in the American church, so much more pressure um, on top of a very difficult and divisive political election and and cycle. Um, But yeah, but the physical health and wellness piece, I think, is very important and ignored. And so I would like to see in local churches just more more on this. There's a lot of people in local churches who are doctors and nurses, but also nutritionists. And those that trainers can, and like those who own workout centers and, and know all about health and wholeness. Yes, yeah. coaches, yeah, that, coaches that, yeah. that that can do seminars. We held a seminar a couple of years ago here, um, and I was asked to be one to come and, and speak on this holistic view, which I was very happy to do. But somebody else spoke about nutrition, and somebody else spoke about physical exercise. You know, I can't really serve. I cannot serve God if I'm not well, right? And so how can I be as healthy as possible? So I teach quite a bit. I'm not a nutritionist, right? I'm not in sports medicine, but I do teach and I keep up with this on on good nutrition, physical exercise, even sleep. You know, for most pastors, and this this is a liability for students, right? Because they can get by on a little bit less sleep than maybe someone double their age. And so, but but sleep, this is, okay, this is a, just a quick, quick little yeah, note yeah. here that I think maybe listeners would find interesting. In the last 20 years, there have been sleep research centers in major universities, one of them being the University of Chicago. And here's what they have found. They took perfectly normal undergrad students, right? And they were participants in sleep studies. And they would, they would put the EKGs on them. They would monitor their nutrition. They would monitor their sleep. But during sleep, they would disrupt sleep with very loud beeping noises, right? And they would look at the EKG, like in the brain, what did it do? Within a few days of eating healthily after disruptive sleep, here's what they found, that they were on the onset of type 2 diabetes. Oh, wow. Type 2 diabetes. And what they've learned in the last, I'd say, 20, 25 years is that during sleep, there is a hormone, it's called leptin, people can look it up, L-E-P-T-I-N, that is released. And what does it do? It controls appetite. So what happens when you don't sleep, and for most of us these days, we're what? We're at the computer, we're at the television, we're in the cinema, we're, at, we're, we're sitting. And as a book says, there's one book uh, written by a NASA scientist that says, sitting kills. So we're not exercising as much. So you have a perfect storm. You have people not exercising, they're not sleeping enough, and they're not eating right. We're eating mostly a lot of carbs and sugar. It is a an equation, right? A, a, a bad equation for heart disease, cancer, and, and any number of comorbidities, stroke, et cetera. So health and wellness is, is, is so important. And, you know, pastors often catch in, as catch can, right? They're stopping at fast food places. And if you have <laughs> oh, yeah. to stop at fast food pa- places, get health, make healthy choices. <laughs> you were one of the first, I think, professors I ever heard talk about this, about physical health and well-being. I think you were a guest lecturer at a regent course from Dr. Mara Crabtree, a course that, yeah, similar to some of the topics we're, we're talking about. And I guess I, I, 
yeah, was was challenged, encouraged, and has helped take some steps in my own life. But I'm I'm curious why, particularly in the church, do you think, like particularly evangelical non-denominational that we're we're connected with, why has that health been neglected? We know it mm. has been, and again in culture, Americans. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, are known globally for yeah being obese and you know poor eating habits, right. but particularly a church that you know we have scripture about our body is the temple of the Lord, and we want to we want to do everything for God's glory and and live long. Like, why do you think we we neglect it as pastors, it's as Christians, as question. leaders? It's a great question. I maintain that in the church. Most people expect the church to be about spiritual things. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot not discussed, even though things are in the Bible, like you had just mentioned. You know, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when when God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit decided, you know, to make human kind, and where was the Holy Spirit going to live? In the the human body. And so... I, I, I think it's it's a miss, and where you pick this up is through your own reading, or when you go to the doctor's office and the doctor tells you you got to do something about this blood pressure, or you got to reduce your salt intake, or you know you're pre-diabetic, or worse yet, you are diabetic, and it could have been prevented. So we are a nation, the one of the wealthiest nations of the world, and one of the poorest health-wise. I mean. Mm-hmm. Outside of famine and war, you know, for all that we have, it doesn't equate to really healthy living. We're overweight, right, and and with a lot of issues, heart disease, cancers, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think somebody, probably pastors that are being trained, it's not in their seminary educations. <laughs> Thankfully, it was wasn't mine, thanks to you. But just yeah. a little bit. Yeah, yeah that's just true. A, that's just true. a little uh, bit. One lecture, yeah. And even in medical schools, Jeremy, it's really interesting. Very few have anything on nutrition. There is an association of sports medicine in the U.S., and they had an initiative called, and people can look it up, it's called Exercise is Medicine. And they were trying to get all of those sports docs in that association to recommend as a prescription to every single patient, to the degree that their patients were able, yes, right, yeah, not to yeah, overextend, yeah. to exercise. So if you, 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 we can't just throw pharmaceuticals at people, right, and their lifestyles stay the same, right? So it habituates patterns that people are not getting well, and then there's a pattern of getting really repetitive pharmaceuticals just to keep things stabilized, but it's not solving the problem. So even our medical doctors are not getting trained in nutrition and physical exercise and and even the benefits of sleep. Mm-hmm. So again, I it's it's one of those recipes like eat right, sleep, yes. and take a run, take a walk, work yes. out. Like those things solve so many things. But beyond that, you're bringing kind of a, a theological framework that yeah, it's unto the glory of God, Gloria Day. Like it's it's not just for self help to make me better, but actually, so I can be a part of God's story of what God's God's doing. And you highlight, you know, and maybe another reason why in the church we don't talk about this is because there's such an abuse of the body in the world. Yeah. Right? There's an abuse, and there's drug abuse, there's physical abuse, there's sexual abuse. Yeah. Um, there's um, pornography is yeah. rampant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so all of these things, I, I don't think the church, and again, I, I'm, I'm not, um, I don't want to be critical of the church, but I think this is an opportunity for the church to come alongside and say, but, but the church has a message, you know, where uh, not to say that you're just going to preach the gospel and somebody's going to give up drugs or give up pornography or, or some of the other addictions, but to say that, We'll walk with you, and here's a healthy way to do that. And we have people maybe in the church or we can refer out for you to get help. Well, this has been amazing to chat with you. I could sit for another hour or two, and maybe another time we can. Just one one last question, and this actually was a question from a a pastor friend of mine, and it kind of, yeah, touches on some of all of these topics. What are the best ways to foster, this is somebody who's been in ministry for, for years, and what are the best ways to foster as much growth as possible for someone who has been walking with Jesus 
for a long time. Mm. Well, I would want to say read my book, but <laughs> <That's good. laughs> that'd be a little self-serving, wouldn't it? Um, I, I think that is a prime question. So many of us in the Christian faith plateau. You know, we get, we're a little older chronologically. We're a little older spiritually. And we just kind of plateau because there's not a next level. I think one of the greatest ways that we can grow, and this gets back to what you said earlier on, is to serve and to not allow just sedentary complacency set in in where you are, where, whether it's in, at a university if you're teaching, if you're even, you don't have to be a pastor in a church to plateau, right? Um, but w- what, beseech God. God has a plan. So in the last, you know, look at Moses. And I mean, his prime time was in the latter third of his life. And I want to be, if I live to be 90 or more, I don't want anyone to have to pull me out of a chair. And I don't want anyone to have to get me, to pull me by the hand to get me to do something. I still want to be serving people. And the way we stay young at heart and healthy is serving. And there's any number of ways to do that right? So we need to, number one, realize that God is still about making disciples of every nation. Get involved. Go on a mission trip. Yeah. Do something that you've never done before. Yeah. Let let the Holy Spirit blow on that little ember that might have grown a little bit dim, right, to rekindle what what God is doing in the world. A lot of times we feel like when we get older, we can, we, we're not making a difference. No one's calling on us anymore. If anything, they're calling on the younger people. Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay. So that's number one. Number two, fashion a small group of five to seven young people and pour your life into them. Call it mentoring, call it discipleship, call it just, you know, let's meet it. Have dinner. Let's have let's dinner have and pray. Dinner. Yeah. Like, let's, yeah, come to my house. Let's do this. Um, but if you see yourself as building into the next generation, that that is worthwhile. That is something that is going to outlive you. Um, so anyway, that's that's a short answer to probably a much longer. Oh, it's discussion. awesome, Diana. Yeah, thank you again for your time. And again, I love seeing how spiritual formation, particularly for leaders and worship leaders, is it is at the core of who we are, and also at the core of who. Jesus is, and I love how you're able to yeah, to bring that together. So thanks so much for your time. You are so welcome. It's a delight. Thanks for listening to the Worship Theology Podcast, and a special thanks to the Calvin Institute for Christian Worship and their support of this episode. <laughs>